The other day Carl said he got a flat tire or something. Had to stop and fix it. And a fella came and picked him up. And he said the dude uh, was drinking beer in his truck. Dropped him off at the auto parts store. Got out. Got his stuff, got back in the truck and the dude opened the trunk and got another beer out. Cracked that open and set it down in the cup holder and drank it. Nursed it while he was doing his thing with driving Carl back to the car and he was super nice and sweet and everything but Carl was like okay that's not quite what I what I had him I had in mind that feels better Colossians 1 7 and 8 you learned about the good news from Epaphras our beloved co-worker he is Christ's faithful servant and he's helping us on your behalf he has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Amazing. I love this story. I love this verse. First thought, you learned. Never stop learning. To the extent to which we receive God's truth and learn from Jesus, we are Jesus' disciples. He's the rabbi. He's the teacher. We're the learners. That's how it goes. Jesus is the teacher. We are the learners. First, we start as learners, hungry and humble. But oftentimes what happens is the more we learn, then we start to assume and presume that we already know what we ought to know. And then sometimes, so when we're in that, so there's beginner, intermediate, and master level of, of, of like of, you know, mastering a subject or a truth. And when we're in the beginning stage, uh, we're hungry and humble. But sometimes when we're in the intermediate stage where we're just learning enough, then we kind of assume we know more and better than we actually do. And we over oversell how much we know. And we actually think, wow, we've mastered this, man. We're the experts. And then you can stop learning. You stop learning, you stop growing. You stop growing, you stop changing. You stop falling in love and you stop being fascinated by God. It's death, man. It's death. One day I said to God, dude, tell me something I don't know, right? Because I was about to read my Bible and I just had this feeling of like, I already know what's in here. I know the gospel. I know what the verses are. I know what the ch chapters are. And I didn't like it. I didn't feel healthy to me. So I said, Show me, tell me something I don't know. And he just said the word squid. And uh, squid are amazing. Like, so I researched it because I was like, well, I don't know why he's saying that. I researched it and I figured they have these huge brains and they're cephalopods and they have these incredible beaks that can like bite through human bone and they can change the color of their skin and they're extremely intelligent. And the Humboldt ones, which are massive, they hunt in packs and they, they live in the depths where it's so pitch black the sunlight can't even reach and when it's dark they come up to hunt and they're terrifying and divers told stories about how being attacked by Humboldt squid and how just absolutely incredibly just oh man terrifying it is anyway and they there's so much more I could say about squid they use jet propulsion to fly through the water at speeds over 25 miles per hour and have skin cells called chromatophores that enable them to change colors aggressive voracious predators they'll attack anything that moves They're they're highly cannibalistic if one tiny thing on the planet that I'm from can blow my mind and I don't know anything about it then how in the world could you ever approach the infinite and glorious and eternal God who fills heaven and earth and designed all things and knows all things and even the hairs of my head are numbered and he is the stars he knows all by name. That's crazy. We didn't, like, we, when the Hubble telescope has revealed to us just how many millions of galaxies filled with billions of stars there are, it's like, what? Do you know what I'm saying? How do you ever presume to not be humble and hungry in the face of this God? It's time to walk. Epaphras was a regular. Is my butt wet? Oh no, it's just cold. Epaphras was a regular 
dude, a regular dude. That blows my mind. So just a regular dude met Jesus, and then he went back to his hometown and told the people that he knew about the Jesus that he had come to know. And it changed their time, it changed their eternity, it changed their lives. Epaphras is not their answer, right? He's just a regular dude. He knows their answer. He knows the Jesus who is their answer. So none of us, this is the, one of the weirdest things of the Christian life, none of us is each other's answer, but we need each other to teach each other that none of us is each other's answer. In other words, I'm not your answer, but the Jesus I know is your answer. I'm going to let you down one way or the other, right? You're going to let me down one way or the other because neither you and I is Jesus. Neither you and I is meant to be Lord. Neither you and I is meant to meet each other's needs. We're meant to love each other, not need each other. That's a whole separate talk. I'm not your guru. I'm not your priest. We're a kingdom of priests. We have one mediator, one high priest, and we are all connected to him. We need each other to lead us to the Jesus so that we don't try to find our answer in each other, but in the Jesus who we all carry and all know. All right, and Epaphras was that guy for them, just a regular dude, just a regular dude who knew Jesus, who brought them into contact with the Jesus he knew. Now, it wasn't how much smarts he had, it was the Jesus he knew. It wasn't how much brilliance he had or much biblical knowledge he had, it was the Jesus he knew. It wasn't how much education he had, it was the Jesus he knew. And that just blows my mind. Joke break. Two cows are standing out in a field. And the one says to the other, while they're you know, chewing, aren't you worried about mad cow disease? And the other one says, not at all, I'm a helicopter. I talk about this one. Okay, it says, uh, Paul says Epaphras was a soon do loss, a, a co-slave. My sun's going down, it's really pretty. Now, of course, we all know that slavery would have be exceedingly unpleasant. Like, who wants to be? Nobody would want to be a slave. Of course, American colonial slavery was even worse than the, the slavery in the ancient world in the time of the Bible. Even worse in America. Even worse. And Paul meets Epaphras and says he's a fellow slave. He's a co-slave. He's someone who's sold out to Jesus and he exists not to do his will, but to do Jesus' will. He doesn't exist for himself, for his dreams, for his fulfillment, for his happiness, for his pleasure, for his safety, for his ego, for his strokes. He lives for one thing alone. His pleasure comes from seeing the master's eyes light up when he does the thing that causes the master joy. That's what he's living for. That's all he exists to be about. One thing only. Jesus' will. Jesus' fame. Jesus' name. Come on. And I think that is like a super counterintuitive message, this idea that we could be slaves of Christ. Like I know our favorite verse is when Jesus says in John 15 that I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends. That's like our favorite verse because we're like, ooh, nobody wants to be a slave. But here's the deal. I think there's something so incredibly liberating. Okay, so it's like this. Whoever is free from Jesus is a slave to sin. And whoever becomes the slave of Jesus breaks free from sin. And when you break free from sin, your, your identity is, is online. And you're filled with hope and love and joy and peace. The only way to be truly free is to be a slave to Jesus. He said it this way, if you lose your life in this life, for my sake, you'll find it. But if you cling to your life, if you cling to your rights, if you cling to your dreams, if you cling to all the stuff that you have to have, it'll actually crush you. You'll lose your soul. And what good is it for a man to gain the world and lose his soul? Here's the mystery. Here's the paradox of this gospel. As Paul is saying, me and Epaphras have learned this secret, man. We're slaves of Jesus. We live for nothing else. But this is the deal. They become the people who go around setting everyone else free. So it's, it's a message we need to hear, man. It's a message we need to hear. My hands are freezing. It's so cold out here. I'm going to put on the screen what the temperature is outside right now. He's helping us. Okay. Paul says that Epaphras, who never met the Colossians, is helping the he's helping Paul and his and his cope his friends on their behalf. 
Well, that is interesting. First off, he's helping them, which means that uh, Paul, his whole thing is to introduce people to Jesus and then grow them up in Jesus. And he's just like us. Nobody has all the gifts, but everybody has some kind of gift. Therefore, since nobody has all the gifts, nobody's good at everything, and everybody's good at something, that means that we're stronger together, right? That means you're probably good at something I ain't good at. Which means, instead of me trying to be well-balanced, I need to be well-connected. Ah, I think a lot of us waste a lot of energy trying to get good at everything. When we're not supposed to be good at everything, we're actually supposed to work harder at being better at the things we're already good at so that we can be partnered with people who are already good at the things we're already bad at so that we have fun doing the things we're good at and they have fun doing the things they're good at and everybody gets their needs met and the gospel goes forward. Woo! But anyway, but Paul's just like us. He needs people. And here's what he says. Epaphras, who was from Colossae, meets Jesus, maybe when he was out at Ephesus, I don't know, and he goes on the mission trip or mission trail with Paul and he helps him. Now, Paul needs help. That's fascinating to me. Paul needs help. He needs help with people writing down things because he doesn't see real good. Remember at the end of his letters, he says, I, Paul, write this to you in my own hand. And it's, in other words, he's like got big blocky letters because he can't see. He's all up in there. He's trying. But so who writes his letters? Other people. If you know Jesus, you already have a vested interest in the spread of the gospel because the Jesus that you know is in every believer and you're all connected and you have a common cause, whether you even met each other or not. And here's the thing, in the modern world, we have so many denominations that it actually can serve to divide us. And I think that's a tragedy, man. Like a denomination makes a great home and a terrible prison. It makes a great home in the sense of a great place to have a, a relational network of support, doctrinal standards, missionaries to send, programs to train people up, and all that good stuff. But it makes a terrible prison if you only relate to the people in your denomination, or if you arrogantly assume that you're the biblical denomination and everyone else is wrong, or if you, you, you aren't relationally connected with, worshiping alongside, and doing mission alongside people from other denominations. I tell you what, man, you've lost sight of the kingdom reality. Come on now, somebody up in here say, woo! Joke break. Why can't Ray Charles see his friends? Because he's married. <laughs> it says Epaphras has told us about the love the Holy Spirit's given you. He told us. He told us. He caught you red-handed and then he went behind your back and he talked about you. Except guess what he talked about? It's called good gossip. He talked about what God was doing in their life. He talked about God's grace on them. He talked about their character qualities. He talked about the good things he was grateful, grateful for. Man, that's good gossip. And what's interesting is when you talk about people for good or for bad, you put in their minds a set of files that start to look for information that fits that file folder. So if you talk bad about me behind my back, it enables people around you to subtly start to notice the bad things that you've pointed out. And they go, oh my goodness, it's called confirmation bias. It's how Donald Trump won the Republican primaries in his first election by calling everyone names. And it worked beautifully. But as soon as I saw that, as soon as I saw that debate, I said, he gonna win, baby. And, I, and my dad said, I'll give you $1,500 if Donald Trump becomes president. I said, he's gonna become president. And then he did become president. And my dad put $1,500 in, in an investment account for me. <laughs> Thank you, Donald. Anyway, true story. But if I talk good about you behind my back, it creates, uh, behind your back, it creates folders in people's minds to see God's grace at work in you. And here's the deal. I 100% believe that, that talking good about people behind their back 
just like like Epaphras does here, can can stir up like a momentum. It can be like a it can be can snowball. Love and mercy can snowball and spread through a community and create an environment of love and kindness where people actually make allowance for each other's faults because they see there's a way bigger thing than just someone's failures. Everybody stumbles at many points. Oh my word, you really need to focus on everyone's flaws? How about we all have a Holy Spirit moment where we mind your business. Take that plank out of your face before you even presume to look at that speck of sawdust up in their eyeball. Come on, baby. You got to do what you got to do. And finally, the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. This is amazing. You know how many times people have said love is a choice? You know how many times Christians have told me love is a choice? You know what I think? I think that's a clever way for us to not have to admit when we don't love people because as long as we keep acting like we love them with our actions, we don't have to repent of the fact that what we feel and think about them when, they're, when we, they come up on our heart's radar is less than love. Here's what love is. Love is not a choice. If love is a choice, then when Paul says the Holy Spirit gives you love, what that would mean is the Holy Spirit controls you like a robot. You know what I'm saying? It's not what he means. Love is an inner disposition, the feeling of the value of the person in front of you. That's what it is, man. It's a savoring of the preciousness, of the value of another thing or person. Now, love makes choices if you truly value a person. If I truly value a, a wedding ring, you ain't going to toss it down the drain. You ain't going to throw it in the trash. If you value a child, you're not going to just yell at them and talk down to them. If they're precious to you and important to you, you're going to make them a priority. In fact, your actions reveal your priorities. Your choices reveal what you love. Fact, right? But love itself is not a choice. Love makes choices. I don't know if you've ever been praying for someone or, or, or just talking to someone and the love of God for them will come over you and you'll feel his affection for them. That's a supernatural thing, man. I've gone through times so hard that I had to go charismatic places to drink deeply of God so that I could get baptized afresh in the Holy Spirit so I could come home with enough power to be able to love people who absolutely hated me. Yeah, you're bold. You're bold as love. Should I tell you another story? All right, I'll tell you a story. Man, I had a friend, and we were just getting to know each other, and I took him out, you know, to like a, a meal, and I'm opening up, I'm telling, I'm, you know, I'm, you know telling stories and talking, because that's what I do, I'm a talker. And he ain't talking back, and we're, I'm trying to get to know this guy, I'm trying to be, become his friend, but he ain't talking back, and I'm getting frustrated, man, it's getting frustrating. So, uh, he'd give me nothing, it's like this, it's like, so how you doing? Good. You learning anything about Jesus lately? Yeah. Reading anything good in the Bible lately? Yep. I mean, it was painful. Finally, it's like, alrighty, guess I'll be, uh, I'll be going home. Well, bye. You know, so I, it happened like two weeks in a row, man. And my wife's like, I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore, man. This guy doesn't want to be my friend or nothing. I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. And Carrie's like, well, you should just pray that the Holy Spirit would give you a love for each other. And I was like, I don't feel like it. I don't want to, man. 
I put my heart out there and you trashed it twice. I'm just not in the mood. I'm not in the mood. I said, you can do whatever you want. I mean, you go ahead and pray like that. If I, I hope he would. I hope he does, but it hadn't happened yet, man. And so she's like, all right, I will. I'll pray that. Next time we go out and it's like, I'm like, how's it going? He's like, good. This is what God's been teaching me. What's God been teaching you? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And that reminds me of this and this and that. And you ever read this guy? And oh yeah, the Lord's amazing. And next thing you know, I come home with a dumb grin on my face and I'm like, Carrie, we're buddies. We like each other. It's working. There's love flowing. It's crazy. I told you. Isn't that awesome? It actually can work like that. Oh, look, a 360 degree. 360 degree, oh, 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 yeah.